Hey, everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of May 13th, 2021. This is Charles Hain. I'm a writer at No Film School. I'm here with editor-in-chief of No Film School, George Edelman. Hello. We're going to talk about Pacinoing. We're going to be talking about, in tech news, Atomos adding a whole host of fascinating new features to their Ninja V. I think you're supposed to say Ninja 5, but then a lot of people seem to anecdotally say Ninja V, the Ninja 5 mana quarters. And we're going to be talking about, in Ask No Film School, a really amazing question about IMDb and the internet rating systems that dictate our world. This week on the No Film School podcast. All right, so our first story this week, Stephen Follows. If you guys don't subscribe to the Stephen Follows email list, you all should. Stephen Follows is a writer who weekly sends out an email with just sort of like a data dive into filmmaking that's quite like, they're always great. They're always fun. It's always like, what genres are the longest? And what, you know, it's like, it's it's observations you never think to make about movies, but then he goes in and does data data dives. And this week's data dive, which I wanted to talk about with George because I thought it was really fascinating, is called Pacinoing. And the reason it's called Pacinoing is El Pacino talks about that sometimes he takes joy in starring in bad movies as a worthy challenge to improve them, right? And I, first off, I think it's once you've said that in an interview, you get to have the aspect of being in worse and worse movies called Pacinoing because if you've admitted you're making it as a choice. I don't know that Nick Cage has ne- necessarily like been very public, that he's like, I enjoy the challenge of making all of the things that come in. There's so much to unpack about this statement that I found really interesting. I mean, also it's because, you know, it's rare we really know ahead of time if a movie will be good or bad. Like if Scorsese's directing, odds are it will be good, but some are less good than others. And we've all read weird scripts that turned out to be good movies. And so it's always a guess at the beginning, but you are guessing. And it seems like he's saying there's stuff that looks like it's going to be bad and I'm going to try and elevate it. And I think this is a temptation we all have, depending on what opportunities are in front of us. I definitely have read some scripts that were like on offer for me to direct. And I was like, what could I turn this into? if I put everything I have into this and then it becomes a question of like, could I elevate it to be something better than it is? But what was really interesting is Stephen follows did a whole sort of breakdown over the career arcs of a whole bunch of people and had a very interesting observation that sort of the reverse of a Pacino, right? A Pacino is an actor who started their career in a bunch of very highly rated movies that have sort of slowly drifted downward over time. Although there's some recent movies that are still very well rated. I'm going to guess that was the Irishman up there outlier in the chart, but the average once slope upon is a time going in down. Hollywood. Oh, that's gotta be once a time in Hollywood, which is even better. There's two big, there's two recent high ones. Yeah. That, once upon a time in Hollywood lost. and the Irishman. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know, there are other actors who've done the same. Eric Bana, who started so strong with like chopper and has sort of drifted down. Robert De Niro has drifted down on an even more aggressive slope. <laughs> and there's all sorts of theories for that. Although he also has a couple of little outliers there. Although none of the outliers go as high as the Pacino outlier once upon a time in Hollywood. But what was really interesting is the reverse Pacino score, 
which is Chris Pine, Chris Evans, Dominic West, and Angelina Jolie. And what I thought was interesting about this is I think this certainly has something to do with people's choices in their career, but I also think it has to do a little bit with where where people are in their industry and how you go about gaining power in the industry and how different that is. Like when De Niro and Pacino started in the 70s, a lot of really great movies were being made and you could launch yourself to stardom and celebrity and get power off good movies. Like De Niro got power off being in Godfather 2, which was an amazing hit, and then Taxi Driver, which is great. And those movies gave him the clout to help get Raging Bull fight. Like you could be in good movies and get power. Whereas what's interesting is you look at people like Chris Pine and Chris Evans, and they started out in these lower ranking movies, and it's much more of a traditional ladder climb now, where you have to start well, in these like worse movies and then sort of claw your way up to having the clout to get to be in the rarer good movie. So I'm assuming this is, here's, here's the couple. There's a lot of really interesting stuff here. I'm glad you brought it to my attention, and I'm actually glad we're talking about it because it ties into a lot of what today's episode is going to be about, which is kind of the nature of rating systems and the value of them and the impact they have on our careers. The thing about, so first off, you have to look at where the data is coming from. That, that's always one of the first things. And I love that, that Stephen Follows is doing this on his site, stephenfollows.com. I love this post. I love trying to find, I've talked about it a lot outside of the podcast, but this is a great way to bring it in. I believe there must be an intelligent money ball thing that can be done with the entertainment world. Money ball is a reference to basically the strategy employed in baseball at some point that was a looking for the kind of reverse trends or trends in data that you can exploit that are not being recognized by the general population. So is there like an undervalued skill set that's actually really great that nobody's paying for essentially? Like is there 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 are ways to 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 look at advanced data and determine, hey, nobody is paying a high premium for this, but this is actually like a secret weapon. And that's kind of like that strategy can apply to any field. Now, the arts, no, nothing like this applies to art, right? But guess what? Hollywood is also a business. It's probably a business first. So it does apply to business. So if you're looking for art, this kind of stuff isn't necessarily going to mean anything. But if you're looking at it from the angle of business, and money, and income, which is what actually makes the industry work a lot of the time, that's a whole other debate. But hey, getting back to the point here, what I think is the first thing you notice is that these scores come from Metacritic which is an aggregator of critic scores, correct? Yes. The average rating given by top critics expressed as a figure out of 100, a meta score. So that's what he's using here. So it's kind of like a Rotten Tomatoes, like the part that's the critics, not the audience. And it's a question of like what you know critics they, they value and, and then what their score is and then the aggregate. And so what movies do critic like? critics like? Is that reflective of actual quality? That's the first thing you have to ask yourself. And I say that because is Chris Pine actually consistently making better movies? I think it's more that he's making movies that critics like. And I think if you think about, you know, like probably one of the Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman was probably pretty high. Is it a good movie? 
you know, is it as good a movie as Dog Day Afternoon? Like, I think, I think, or The Godfather. I think we have to sort of like look a layer below and wonder about like trajectory. But looking at just like, if we just take it all face value and we don't go deeper, I think you make a really good point about how careers are built. But I would, I would take it a step farther and say, it's what is available to critics. So like, think about it from the perspective of a critic. You can't hate everything, even if you want to. So if the best big movie you see all year is Wonder Woman, you kind of have to eventually write a good review about a movie like that because that's what's out there. There aren't, there aren't a lot of deer hunters being made in, or for like the Nero example, or a lot of Serpicos. And I'm not even, you know, I'm picking the lesser big Pacino movies from the early days, from the 70s. But back in the 70s, that was probably closer to standard. So my point is just, is Chris Pine's, movie choices or power actually increasing or is he just doing a better job in a field that values entirely different things i think that these these are the like i like i don't think chris pine and chris evans are are making great movies i don't think either of them ever really has made great movies but i think that the, in my opinion which is subjective but i think that the part of it is critics just look they don't have a lot of the movies they make fit into a grouping that these that these critics are going to have to like at some point. So maybe they're making the best of the ones available. If that makes sense. So if I could if I could reflect your argument back to you, it seems to me you basically just said the reason why Chris Pines and Chris Evans and Zembers are going up is because all movies are so bad now that reviewers have to say something nice about something and they happen to be in the movies that reviewers say something about. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, if that's the take you want to take, I just want to, I just want to make sure I summarize it properly. I'm trying, you know what? Yeah. I guess if I'm going to be a straight shooter, I think that's part of it. I do. I don't think that all, I don't think that all movies are so bad right now. I think that the field of, you know, you if you're a critic and your job is to write about movies, you have to be aware that you can't just it's just like what we talked about with the Oscars. You can't just like the Nomad Lands because those are less seen because the way movies are experienced is so different now. Like the number of people, just remember, if you go back to the 70s when this is another angle to this that's fascinating about the Stephen Follows thing. If you go back to the 70s, what were people, what was available for audiences to watch? The shows that were on TV at that moment in time, literally, and the movies that were in theaters that weekend. So the only thing that could dictate their choices truly were the competing studios and what they were producing. So if you made Taxi Driver, which was small, but like whatever you made, your competition was what, what was out and on at that time. So it's just a whole different ball game. So what you're seeing released now has to be something like Captain America, because how do you cut through the noise of everybody can watch everything ever made, essentially, like compared to what they could watch in the 70s. So Chris Pine, to, to, to make it to balance out my argument, so it's not just doesn't just sound like I'm saying everything's bad now. It's also that everything made now has to compete with everything ever in a way. So to be a theater release that cuts through the noise, you need to, you know, come come in there with some muscle like, 
hey, this is your favorite comic book character ever in a series of comic book movies that you have been watching and love, and that's why you should go see it. If someone just releases a Nomadland, which you would compare maybe to a tech, like if Nomadland comes out in the 70s, like it's out in theaters, it's, it's, it's playing in the same level playing field, if that makes sense. And I just think that that's part of why, yeah, so Chris, are Chris Pine and Chris Evans choosing some of the better versions of those things? Probably. And are those things like not as artistically, as critically acclaimed as the things, the equivalent from the 70s? No, they're not. It's just a different. So I think comparing apples, Chris Pine to, to De Niro is not apples to apples. That's what I'm trying to say. I think long winded way to get there. So you're arguing that there's a little bit of grade inflation going on in the critics picks. Yes. I'm saying that the the modern day guys and girls against each other makes sense. But I think when you're trying to mix, now it's like we're talking about like, can you, is Magic Johnson better than LeBron James? But I think like you just can't compare the industry of choices for a career like Pacino. I know he's still making movies today, but I think like, you know, his early day movies. Yeah. I think there's great inflation and changes. And then I think you could say, yes, my argument is that the playing field is completely different. Um, so the career arcs look completely different. I don't think it's possible for Al Pacino. How about this? I don't think it's possible for Al Pacino to rise given where he started in terms of critics opinions of his films. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah. Like, how are you going to make movies today that are on par with Godfather, Serpico? Like, how could you can't go on a run like that? So it also wouldn't be fair to Chris. Chris Pine is doing really well considering that those, he can't have those movies. And Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, even if they pick, sometimes they do pick great movies, like you mentioned a few outliners. But if they want to work all the time, which it sounds like Al Pacino is saying he does, that's just like he can't keep his batting average was way too high way back when it is a that's kind of yeah my point no i take that point it is definitively a different industry and among everything else we can take out of this we can definitely take that that the industry is not what it was and it the choices available to you to be a performer are different i will say that angelina jolie deserves tremendous respect for being 30 years into her career now and continuing to float gently up in the quality of her movies over time, which is awesome. I would agree. I would actually say it's really cool because she, her point, her, her stats are interesting because she came up at a time in the nineties that was a little closer to a time like the seventies, like the first movie she did, she transitioned from that sort of, she had what would be closer. You would expect that she would have had an arc closer to Pacino's, given the era she rose in. That it would be hard in this era to replicate the critical successes of the mid to late 90s. And then she trans- she transitioned to being like Laura Croft. But she's become something of an auteur in her own right. And she's made different kinds of choices and she's dictated the direction of her career. And so her uh, critic scores go up, which is amazing to do nowadays. It would be hard to do. So I'm just saying Chris Pine and Chris Evans, their careers exist in this era entirely, pretty much. It's fun to find people who straddle the line. Yeah. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Moving on, skipping out of ratings for a minute. We're going to be back to ratings for our Ask No Film School question that we wrap up with. But skipping out, we have tech news here in the middle. And for tech news, we're going to be talking about a fascinating development from Atomos. If you don't know Atomos, they are an Australian company most famous for their lineup of monitor recorders. So it is a monitor, but you can also record video in it. You you stick in an SSD. Uh, as I say, whenever I talk about Atomos, this was a product I did not initially understand. They made no sense to me. They first came out and I was like, well, if you're going to buy one, because like, the idea is like, you know, you buy like a $2,000 camera and then you buy this $1,000 monocorder and it'll shoot, like you shoot like straight to ProRes 444 and and. Like whatever reason I saw them and I was like, well, why don't you just get a, why don't you just rent an Alexa where you can shoot straight to 404? And I, I, my brain just didn't compute. I didn't get it. Then I bought one for a couple of specific projects. Oh, I did a review of one. And then after I sent that one back, I was like, oh, I get it. And I bought an Inferno, the big seven inch one. And the beauty of them is- What about it did you get? What so changed? Here's what I got is you're getting these edit ready files right out of the gate. So you're on set and rather than like having to get back to the office and transcode, the thing you are shooting is ready to edit. You're shooting straight to ProRes 444 and it's ready to go. And you're like, and the the other thing that I really got about it is as cameras come and go, you can keep switching from unit to unit. So like the Shogun and Fergo I bought in 2017 still works just great today. And I have shot EVA1 with it, which is a camera that came out two years after it came out. I've shot xh1 with it and xt4 with it and all of these different cameras just plug it into it and so like you don't necessarily have to keep updating your camera body for every new sensor or you can keep updating your camera body for every new sensor without worrying about replacing your monocorder so you get this nice bigger image with like all of your focus assist tools and your false color tools and all of that stuff recording straight to ssd you, you know a two terabyte ssd is super cheap so you just pop it in and shoot to it all day without even thinking it is a it is a great super handy little setup. There's one thing they've ever done that annoyed me. They promised they were going to support Airy Raw and they never did. This was like NAB 2012. They're like, we'll support Airy Raw and they haven't. It's probably complicated to do that. So I'm going to keep pestering them. Maybe someday they will. Um, although, frankly, the fact that you can just get amazing 4K out of your Aeroflex straight to Pro 444 should be good enough. Regardless. They make the Shogun is the bigger one, the seven incher, and they make a little one called the Ninja, the five incher, which is super popular with people shooting like Sony alpha cameras, like the hit of the year, the A7S III. There's so many people who are like an A7S III and a Ninja 5 uh, or a Ninja V are like such a great team. It's a little smaller. It doesn't have the SDI ports, although you can buy an adapter to have it be SDI ports. I'm working on a review right now of it, and it, it's a it's a super well done, slick little unit. But they just announced a new thing called a Ninja Stream, which I thought was really cool. So it's very similar to the Ninja 5, which means you can like record to it. So like, let's say you're out there and you're shooting on an A7S III. You mount this little five-inch thing on top. You're recording straight to ProRes files. You don't have to transcode later. But you can also simultaneously make H.265 proxy files and 
you can send a video feed either over Wi-Fi, Ethernet, or USB-C to a web-based platform like a smart device or another ninja. So that means you're on set and you want to be socially distanced and you want your director to be able to see what you're shooting. They can open up their phone and over their smart device, see the image from your Ninja V, from your Ninja stream. And you can blast that out to Zoom or YouTube Live or whatever. So the clients in Dubai, they can be watching it in Dubai. The director can be watching it 15 feet away. They don't have to be over your shoulder. And you're seeing it in a beautiful, nice five-inch image mounted to your camera all at the same time with one unit. And this is huge because one of the big things is like, there are tools to do all of these things individually, right? You can get a Teradex serve and it will feed 10 cell phones. You can get a whole bunch of other things that will. There's actually a couple of interesting devices. There's a great one from Hollyland that'll do the web streaming and the wireless video and the smart device, but it doesn't have a recorder built in. But with the Ninja Stream, it also has a recorder built in. So you've got one unit you, you, you stick on top of your A7S III or your Panasonic S1H or your Canon R6 or whatever it is you're shooting. And it'll now support 8K video, which is a huge step up, although only, I believe, at this point from Canon. But the, I'm sure So it'll others, record and broadcast 8K. In straight to ProRes. So, and H.265 with the same file names wow. and match time code. So you can start editing immediately without doing a transcode step. You're not constantly swapping out those expensive CFASTs or CF Express type B cards. You're not worried about any of that. It's one little SSD. It's getting your dual signals. It's streaming to everybody on set. In a social distanced set kind of world, it's kind of an amazing little unit to pop all those things into the same box. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like too many people can watch. Like your video village becomes infinitely large. <laughs> well, you're not going to have... So any of these things, that's a really good response. Any of these things are going to have a limit on the number of units you can pair. So usually... Like, you know, this, you can stream it to other Ninja Vs. So, you know, but you're not going to be able to stream it to 10 Ninja Vs. You're not going to be able to stream okay. it to 10 smart devices. Okay. I don't know how many people can, probably an infinite number of people, once you get it on Zoom, 50 people can log into the Zoom room and watch right. it in live stream. But obviously they have to have the passcode and you can always enable like waiting room or whatever. You know, the Teradex Serve, which I've used a lot for about four years now, it's limited to 10 iOS devices. The Hollyland, which I'm testing now, it's limited to like four iOS devices. Like this isn't something, this is really targeted at those smaller productions. But in COVID, a lot of productions are small. I mean, we're limited at the film school where I teach. We have very strict crew size limits. And, you know, it's all dictated it's also dictated by uh, square footage in a space because you don't want to cram too many people in a space. So what this is really all about is like you're a four or five or seven person crew and you don't want everyone crowded around the monitor. Now, director can have their phone out. DP can have their phone out. Producer might be in the coffee shop down the street watching the live stream while client stays in Detroit watching the live stream. And it's all one unit as opposed to what, what you could do this separately, but then you'd have to have a separate power cable for each one going off a single power block going on. And, you know, you'd have to like run the signal with like all these HDMI cables and your camera would get really messy. Whereas the stream is just this little compact five inch box. You pop it on top of your camera, you run one HDMI cable. It has its own battery, but you know, you can use those big Sony NPs that'll last forever. It's a much slicker integration. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, it sounds like a very big, how much does it cost? So it is, 
three times as much as the old Ninja 5. The old Ninja 5 is like 600 bucks. These are like 1500 bucks. I get it. I get the pricing. I understand yeah. why it is there. <laughs> I'm like- you, So this is for a very specific kind of workflow. This well, there are there. it's launching primarily as a rental item to begin. So it'll mostly be a rental item to start where you're like, okay, I'm booking this job. Once it goes beyond being a rental item, I think it, I think it's actually like, if you think about, I mean, a serve itself used to be 2,100 bucks. When I bought one, it was like 2,400, you know? So you're getting the functionality of an HV and a serve and a video input device to connect to your Zoom and a hardware receiver. I mean, you're getting a whole lot of functionality rolled into a single little unit running off one battery. So I don't think $1,600 is unfair. It is a chunk, but for what you're getting in a COVID universe where we need you know, video yeah. village is the biggest danger zone for us. That is the, that yeah. is the biggest point right. where people are just going to forget and drift too close to each other. And the more we can keep working to spread out video village, the better. Okay. Yeah. Up next. So up next is an ask no film school. I'm going to try and summarize this. Well, so this is from bad boy, Bubby, which is a great username. And I'm going to try and summarize this. I'm hoping I'm getting it correct. So Bad Boy Bubby has made an independent feature film that's been on a few VOD platforms in the UK. It's coming to North America. And as often happens, had some really good IMDb ratings and a very high average above nine. This is super normal on early projects. Why? Because you ask all of your friends and family and crew and all of their friends and family to please go on IMDb and, and all the VODs and give it good ratings. This is normal. I don't think this is problematic. I mean, that one time that Oprah uh, asked all of Oprah's fans to watch the O Network at a given time to boost her Nielsen's ratings, that was problematic. And I actually think she got fined by that for that from the FCC. <laughs> but like, I, I, if you're just a little indie film, you should totally have all your... Don't be afraid to say, hey, please, everybody, give me a good rating. Hey, everybody, go watch Salty Pirate and give it a five star. Uh, give it a 10 on IMDb and a five star on Amazon, please. I think that's perfectly legit. That's what these people did here. I'm not even kidding. Go Salty Pirate. Um, however, <laughs> they noticed right before it, they noticed all in a cluster that there was a big group of negative reviews where about 15 IMDb users ganged up all together and added ones and twos. And weirdly, that brought their average, that cut their average score in half to four something because those users were all weighted. So even though they had like 95, 10 star or, or 10 out of 10 reviews, those 15 ones and twos brought them down to a 4.6 average because of the way the weighting works. And IMDb doesn't release how they do their weighted averages. That's considered a trade secret. They don't want people gaming the system deliberately. So this filmmaker talked to some friends and other people have similar stories so we're here to talk about what we think it might be. And I have a bunch of theories. And I know George has some theories too. And also, because I don't have a definitive answer, maybe George, you do. I have a bunch of theories. And then I'm hoping that this can turn into a crowdsourced project where a bunch of our, our fans will our, or listeners will be able to chime in and say, hey, it's actually X, you're wrong. And we will learn exactly what is at the bottom of this because apparently it is not. It is a, a regular thing at IMDb where... You get all your friends in, and then right before your like preview day, he, it, it, they say it was the day before everything went live on VOD, 
because most of their reviews on IMDb before that were like from private screenings or festivals. Right before it went live on VOD, the numbers tanked. Yeah. Well, I, I do have an answer. I oh, think. great. I don't know Bring it. the definitive answer, but I know from my experience what we determined. And it could be wrong. So please out there, as always, correct me. Well, should me I give know. my insane but theories can, first? Before yeah, you I want to the hear theories answers? and then I'll talk about what my experience was in my answer, if it's correct or not. All right. So I have two relevant bits of information. One, a much larger portion of the internet is driven by algorithms than we like to think. And so my own personal anecdote about this is I once looked up my book on Amazon.com, my first book, I now have three books, but my first book about bicycling, the Urban Biking Handbook, which if you ever want a copy, I bought out my publisher when they cleaned out their warehouse. So I I can just sell them all. Um, (laughs) Don't go on Amazon. But it was on Amazon for uh, $1,750. And like my book was still published at the time. Like it, it was still in print. You could still buy a new one on the publisher's website. And I did some research and I discovered that it was um, pricing algorithms for almost all products on the internet are constantly gaming each other, where they're looking around at other sites and trying to see if like what other people are selling at and then they're raising and then other sites are raising. And so like two sites will get in competition with each other about random meaningless things and there'll be price spikes, especially when there's low volumes of stock left on something because the companies never want to be out of stock. So if they get a really low volume of something, they will price spike to avoid selling out. So Amazon probably only had one or two copies of my book left, and Barnes & Noble probably only had one or two copies of my book left. So each of them were looking at the other site and slowly raising the price in competition with each other automatically with machines in order to avoid selling out. And that's how my price spiked to like $1,500. I saved the screenshot. It's really funny, especially because I've got like 100 copies of this book in my storage (laughs) unit. So algorithms are um, not perfect, as we learn over and over and over. A lot of them, super racist. So um, my (laughs) assumption is going to... So the reason why that seemed relevant to me is my guess is that these reviews are really powerful on the average because they are users that are doing a lot of reviewing. And so because they're doing a lot of reviews, they get more weight than they would otherwise. So even 15 reviews can bring down your average way more. Whereas I'm guessing, you know, if you got your parents and your friends and people who saw the movie at a festival to give you IMDb ratings, that's probably their only IMDb rating ever, right? Like the four things I've ever reviewed on Amazon Prime are my friend's movies. So I'm less likely to have algorithmic clout because part of the algorithm rewards people who are very engaged in the community. So that's my guess about that. And my guess about why they are doing it is while I don't think you had a theory, which is that there's people out there who just don't want indie films to rank well. And I think that that's probably related, but I think what is more likely is that somewhere there is a VOD platform. Cause you said this was like right around the time it was launching on a VOD. My guess is that somewhere there is something that there's someone who Like there are projects that launch on VOD and want a big VOD splash and a big VOD push that weekend. And my guess is part of their marketing campaign is pushing their project on platforms like IMDb. Let's just say it's on Amazon Prime. And let's just say, you know, Evil Film Co. has a a show. They're also launching that weekend. If you're Evil Film Co. and you're just a bunch of bastards and you're like, I really (laughs) want my project to, to be up this weekend in the numbers... You can probably hire a content marketing team to help you with positives, but you also want to be like highly ranked in all the like 
releasing this weekend on Amazon Prime lists that go up because there's a lot of websites that run those. And I suspect that there are marketing companies out there that sell a service of, we will tank your competition's numbers. Ooh, interesting. That's my guess, is that it is a deliberate, it is a click farm somewhere where they keep these accounts and they're all on separate IPs so that they make it through uh, IMDb scans. And that if you want to make it, if you want to make your weekend bigger, part of the way you can do that is by pushing down other people's weekend. That's my guess. Interesting. I mean, a lot of your theories could be true. I'm not. <laughs> that certain. is like my favorite. Like, a lot of your I theories mean, could be too true, Charles. They could. Well, I don't know. Like, you're right. <laughs> like there it. could be a, like, I don't have any, my answers or thoughts don't contradict any of this necessarily. There could be services that help you. There are lots of weird ways to do things on the internet, <laughs> particularly juicing stats uh, that aren't always kosher. Usually that stuff gets penalized eventually, especially if it involves things like Google or like any really big major. But yeah, I'm sure there's little ways like, God, I remember years and years ago, here's a good IMDb anecdote. A friend of mine who worked in the industry but had a background in software and web development figured out a way to juice the IMDb rating. So he could create something that kept clicking, essentially, like opening a click on someone's profile, which impacted their star meter. So some people's star meters could start rising at ridiculous rate. Now, this was a long time ago, but there are all kinds of ways to do things like that. IMDb wasn't aware and didn't shut it down. So like, now it didn't rise it to like the top 10 of everything, but it was just like if some development executive had been meeting with one of the people in question and seen that their star meter was rising, like they checked things, they'd be like, ooh, maybe. So anyway, yes, there's ways to juice this stuff, of course. And I don't know how scrupulous. I assume that IMDb is pretty scrupulous. But here's, so here's my rating story. I made a movie a while ago. It was called, it is called Amigo Undead. You can go look at it on various platforms. I think it's the plays like on Prime and God knows where. Um, and it was a little horror comedy. And, you know, it got, it had, it starred Randall Park, who is a star in his own right, became one eventually. And it, you know, we had a little festival run. We did okay, you know, won some audience awards or whatever. It got distribution. Like it was exciting. And, and yet it wasn't, you know, it didn't like hit theaters or anything. It wasn't really that kind of movie either. But uh, it was, you know, super cheap and it was horror comedy. So it was pretty goofy too. But the thing is the original, so the first reviews on IMDb were all extremely positive. And some of them were fam friends and family. Some of them weren't. I mean, I don't know who all of them were, but the, the general rating on IMDb was quite high. And so we were pretty happy about that. We thought like, wow, you know, people like our movie. You know, the people who see our movie like our movie, me and my writing partner. And then suddenly the IMDb rating tanked. <laughs> Just like the story that our, our friend, bad boy Bubby has. And we were sort of shocked because it was like all of a sudden, like a whole bunch of like one star reviews came in. It was like, who just, who saw the movie? Like, like how did this happen? Like how did like 15 or 20 people all hate the movie at once? And so my, my partner, my writing partner did some research and at the time, what we had determined, and then things, again, could have changed. This was, you know, six, seven years ago, maybe more, actually. 
because I think this was before the official release, probably. But or right around the time, I guess, consistent with Bad Boy Bunny's story, Bad Boy Bubby's story. But the what we learned was that there are people who basically like the way people manage Wikipedia. There are these there are these IMDb user review managers who like go out of their way to tank the reviews of something nobody's heard of that's small that's getting some crazy rating spike because they want to make sure they want to preserve i guess in a weird counterintuitive way the integrity of like not having amigo undead a zombie comedy that cost nothing outrank Shawshank Redemption in terms of its ratings, which sort of makes sense. But I think a lot of times, at least what we determined at the time, they're doing this sight unseen. They're spamming your reviews to make sure that it balances out. Now, how does IMDb weight those versus all the others? I have no idea. I also don't have like facts. Like, you know, this isn't something that I've researched intensely because and this is where it gets to more like, what, what do I think of this? Like, personally, I wasn't thrilled that there were a bunch of negative reviews and all told on like the Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and IMDb, the ratings on my movie are not particularly high. They're like middle of the road. And it's not just because of the spammers. A lot of people watched it and hated it. Like I've watched the YouTube videos of people reviewing it and talking about how stupid it is and they use words far more colorful than that. And I'll be honest, I kind of get a kick out of it to some degree because I think in some cases they just didn't fully understand what we were doing or they thought they were going to watch a real horror movie and they saw something cheap and silly like Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. And I think that they were angry and I get a kick out of it. And look, I mean, here's like you put your movie out in the world, people react to it. Maybe people spam it. The internet is full of weirdos and haters. I've been one of them myself. And I think that that's, that's the way it works. So I, I have a sort of zen of like, you know, giving it up, as they say, to the like, it's in the world and I'm, I'm over, it's done. Like I did my thing and now the world does its. And if that means that the day before it comes out, a bunch of guys who guys and girls who live in the corners of IMDb don't want it to have a perfect rating and preemptively tank it. Well, I'm sure plenty of people are going to hate it one day eventually anyway. And the other reality is if it hits like wider audiences and if tons of people end up loving it, they'll never be able to compete. Like they're not going to tank it if over time it builds up steam. And is it fair? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Maybe not. I mean, it, there's nothing we can do about it ultimately. And it's kind of like, I think what's interesting is just to, to, to then I want to go back over to your thoughts. I think going back to our conversation about Pacinoing, I think we have to remember that like while these ratings impact our livelihoods and impact business decisions, these are ultimately all subjective and there's nothing really we can do about them. And what critics like or dislike and why becomes a it, it becomes a subjective guessing game thing, just like what audiences respond to and why. And all we can do is, you know, create the best thing we can and move on. That's my ultimate, like where I end up with it. I think I get your frustration. Like I was super frustrated at a time too, but then I kind of learned to love the haters because, hey, they responded. I mean, I watched YouTube reviews or some of them where people had like actually spent time watching 
the entire little movie I made, and they spent the time recording a video about why they hated it so much, which is strange. Like, but that's what people do. I mean, that that I'm fine with. That I love. Like, if you hate something I've made and you want to like buy me a slice of pizza and we can talk about it in a park, I will totally do that for the free pizza. It's got to be like Luigi's quality in Clinton Hill or better. It can't be like any slicery. <laughs> but um, or I live the, down the street from Defara if you want to go whole hog. But or make a YouTube video about stuff I've made and hate it. Like that I respect. The the thing I hate, if your story is true, is that a bunch of random people on IMDb are like, we're not gonna let the algorithm decide. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna like put our thumb on the scale because we don't want the algorithm's answers. Like we don't want like because it would also be possible for IMDb to just build the algorithm better, where it's like for the first six months. Like we have one thing that includes current movies that are new. And then we have another thing that's like all time that doesn't include anything from the last six months so that Shawshank could still be the number one. But we could also have this fun chaotic list of like movies that haven't come out yet that like it's entirely rated. Like I would love to see an IMDb list of movies as exclusively rated by the grandmas of the filmmakers. Like, <laughs> No, I mean, I love that. I agree with you. I hate that there are people who do this. And I will say, I don't know if IMDb has solved this. It feels like they should have. Well, clearly, now. if it's still happening to a uh, build boy, build a I bear boy. So. Yeah, I guess if it's happening to our friend. But I don't, but I don't want to, uh, but, but, but we don't know for a fact that there isn't something else. It's just that that's exactly what happened. So I do suspect it could be something similar where there are these like spammers who, it's like, you know how Wikipedia but this is a little different because it's about the veracity of things. But do you know how sometimes someone will edit a Wikipedia, like, you know, and, and put something ridiculous in it? And then it won't take long. Like, you'll have to screenshot it because people go through there and clean it up. I think these hero, these these dark knights of IMDb think that they're the heroes we need, <laughs> not the ones we deserve or whatever. And they are cleaning up the from the grandmas overloving their grandsons and granddaughters feature film debuts that no one's seen yet. But I don't, I think you're right. I don't think that's fair at all. I mean, so I will say that I, I think that as, as yet another sign that the world is falling apart, even Wikipedia ed- editors <laughs> are slacking. I was reading the Wikipedia uh, page this morning for a river Valley in Connecticut because you know, these things happen. I was reading about Charles Goodyear and he's from the Nahagata Valley in Connecticut. And literally there was a line in the middle, which was like, Union City is considered by some to be part of the valley, but it is not, comma, Andrew. And I was like, whoa, Wikipedia <laughs> just totally let this shade at Andrew who wants to include Union in the valley, but it is not slide. And I was almost going to report it, but then it just made me so happy that I was like, I'm not even going to flag this. You be you be messy, Wikipedia, with the drama. It's kind of funny. It's kind of fun. Let's summarize <laughs> what we know. We know this happens. There's, we know that, first off, we know bad boy Bella took this question to the right place because you, George, it happened to you. So we can confirm multi-year pattern. We can confirm that apparently my mind goes to deep evil conspiracies because my first (laughs) thought was there must be a marketing company that you can pay to give negative. I mean, yeah, but now now that we've heard your version, I just sound like a crank. Uh, We know now that you've worked with Josh Fadham, which is great news that I didn't know before. Oh, yeah. I love him. He's the best. He's great in 30 Rock as Liz's agent. He's like my favorite TV agent in all of the agents in media and television. 
Yeah, I mean, please, IMDb, I know you listen, sitting in your throne in England, IMDb. (laughs) It would be great if you could chime in on this one or anyone else who've had this experience. I have not actually ever checked the IMDb ranking of anything I've ever made. I've looked at my Amazon ranking because that's about cash money. But yeah, I mean, and maybe my IMDb ranking is about cash money, but it's literally never crossed my mind to check. So I don't even know if this you ever is happening. Google to me. yourself. Yeah, I Google myself, and I have a. Uh, you went, I have like a. Where you rank? And I have the a Charles uh, Haynes of the world. Charles Haynes news assume- thing. There's a Charles yeah. Haynes who works in England and is very rich, and I occasionally get his receipts um, because his email address <laughs> is one different from mine. He works in like ports and shipping, and occasionally I will get like the private plane he booked from Gatwick to Nigeria, Lagos. <laughs> and like, I'll look at it and I'm like, I, can I try and turn this in for reimbursement somewhere? Like, I'm glad to have this receipt, but he probably needs it. Yes. I've had, I, there's, there's some funny George Edelman's out. There's a chiropractor who used to outrank me, but now I'm so much of an internet presence because of you know, film school and stuff that I outrank him. But oh, anyway. No, he there, is also a are- prominent blogger on port development issues. So he outranks <laughs> me because he is like also an internet writer. You can't win. Yeah, that's all the, you can't, right, you can't win, win with the internet. <laughs> that is the true lesson, right? I mean, some the internet's going to get you. Yeah, I think that the ratings tanking thing, if that's still what it is, and it sounds like it could be, is aggravating and ridiculous. And I kind of like, I actually think, Charles, your, your moral of the story might be even better than mine, which was mine was like, have fun with it or accept it. But I think yours is sort of like, don't even look at it. And you hear people say, like, don't read the comments, which that's also good advice sometimes is like, don't read. Well, certainly the Facebook comments, my God. But like in general, the comment sections of things are we certainly know this well at no film school. Comment sections can be a dark, dark place on the Internet. Um, Not always, but but often. And so, you know, reviews. I liked reading every review, good or bad, of Amigo and Dead, but I'm a strange person. I mean, sometimes I find it more fun to read the really bad reviews because they're misguided in some way or they're just so angry. And it's inspiring anger means someone reacted. They felt something. But I I, I do think that there should be... IMDb, yes, on its throne in England, should certainly consider that perhaps there is a way to work around this, maybe a list of like new and notable called Grandma's Top Ten. Yeah. Or just, you know, and that no film can enter the master competition of all films of all time until it's been out for three months or something. So that this thumb on the scale thing of a bunch of users being like, you know, because it is a thing to counter, right? But like it should be countered by the algorithmic design, not by a bunch of self-appointed vigilantes deciding to clean up the dirty, dirty streets of IMDb rating (laughs) city. Of, yeah, it's just funny that what they're trying to stop is just a few people liking something, which is something that's so genuine. But I don't even know if like it would maybe it's already been fixed to some extent, but people are still doing this. Like, like, I just think it would be weird if a new movie that like, I think it'd be weird if IMDb hadn't solved the problem of something brand new that has only 10 reviews is suddenly topping Shawshank on the all time list. Like that can't be it what happened. just happened to Bubba Bubba. So it's clearly <laughs> continuing to happen. Please, listeners, reach out to us on the Twitters and the Facebooks, and or just the Twitter, actually. I don't even check Facebook. Um, with your answers to what is algorithmically broken at IMDb, 
And if it is my secret nefarious evil marketing company <laughs> whose marketing mission, there must be marketing companies out there that strategy is we're not going to try and boost you. We're just going to try and push down everybody else. That must exist. People are bad. There are, that must be. Yeah, there are, I mean, there are things like that for sure. Yeah. Ways to create fake reviews, bots that submit comments that juice like whatever sections and like ratings and all yeah. that stuff. All that stuff is or maybe you pissed off the Russian government and it's the Internet Research Agency, the IRA, is out there just trying to bring our IMDb ratings down because of... Actually, you know, I know we're going long here, but I just want to throw one more thing out there that we didn't talk about, about this really long and great question because there's so much to cover. But I wanted to add that IMDb's response to his query about it was extremely rude and yeah. weird. It was and like rude. That, we didn't we didn't talk about this at all. Should I quote quote it? Yeah, I'm going to quote it right. Okay, you go for it. Yeah. Now, the IMDb spokesperson proceeded to explain that quote: "The voters think the film stinks." Quote: <laughs> "Sabotage only happens because of the persons that the producer, director, or whomever have pissed off seek to exact." their brand of justice. So this goes further to this weird, like, I, I mean, is IMDb really saying that? I mean, if we're going to take this at face value, this the, the question from Bad Boy Bubby, that's, that's awful. Like, the voters think the film stinks. I mean, it is funny, but it's like, I mean, well, not all of them. So that's part of why the question comes up. But like, this the, talk about a conspiracy theories, sabotage because you pissed someone off and this is their brand of justice. Like, what is the IMDb spokesperson trying to say about this film producer, Bad Boy Bobby? Like, like that's just weird. Are we sure it's a spokesperson and not tech support? Because he says IMDb spokesperson, but I suspect that it's actually someone lower down than being an official spoke. I cannot imagine someone with the title spokesperson saying the voters think the film stinks. Like that just does. I mean, not... IMDb has to answer for this. Like either yeah. way, my guess is <laughs> like, that so if... you should not talk to a user like that. Like that, you're just like, well, your movie sucks, and or if and if your movie doesn't suck, you're just a jerk, and people are coming back to get you. Like, yeah, that's that's super aggressive. But I bet it was lower down than a spokesperson. I bet it was tech support. I bet it was like someone who's because <laughs> you know IMDb must have like a very tech frustrated tech support that's constantly getting. <laughs> Because people are high maintenance with IMDb. Like the actors I know who were like, I'm miscredited in your movie. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you can fix that yourself. And yet, you know, or whatever. Or there was that actress who sued IMDb because IMDb revealed her oh, real age. And so right, I'm, I'm right. assuming that this is just someone in tech support who is used to getting queries like the movie times you showed weren't accurate. Or I tried to fix my spelling, the spelling of my name and added diacritic and I couldn't. And my guess is that I mean, hopefully no one who has achieved the level of like public relations professional would say, you know, really, the reason you're having this problem is because your film stinks. Like that yeah. <laughs> is such a... I think, I think the... Here's the thing though, IMDb, like now that we're on the topic, like I my IMDb is a joke. Like I don't know why some of these things are listed. I don't know who listed them. Some of them were like channel 101 things that appear like they're on, they were on TV, which were not. I have more acting credits than anything else. Like, because I did a lot of comedy stuff. Like it's all crazy. It's the wild west. I don't think I ever submitted anything there on my behalf. And so like, what is I like the, the world of IMDB? Like there are people who have, I remember 
10 years ago, people who like did stuff on there, like built out these crazy elaborate IMDb pages with these bios who had not a single credit you'd ever heard of. So some people like figured out IMDb and submitting to it and some people didn't. And yeah, I'm, I, my IMDb is just a completely hilarious, like it, it to me. Um, and I'm sure confusing to anybody who's trying to figure out what the hell I've done in my career, but that that's IMDb for you. Yeah. I mean, there are four Charles Haynes listed on IMDb. All of them are me. And one <laughs> of them, never heard that Charles Haynes, that's good. Charles Haynes four has nothing on his page. <laughs> Why does he exist? Who knows? Charles Haynes three is the first one I created. The, the other two were created by other people who didn't bother to look up if I existed already when they added me to stuff. Right. And it's, yeah. I don't know how some of this stuff got added. There were these, there were shorts I made that never were seen anywhere or shown anywhere that someone involved with submitted to IMDb. And so, and somehow got it through because I don't know how you get something like that on. So it's all weird. It's Everybody the, who did Channel 101 stuff has like these bizarre credits. It's all the actors. Like no offense to actors. Actors yeah. are wonderful and I love them. But actors want IMDb credits. And the actor, the, yeah. in my experience, the actors are the people who are most aggressive in making sure everything you ever do makes it to IMDb. Right. Which is right. fair. They're trying so to build a profile it, and get their star meter up. Right. And, um, so if they did a student film that no one ever saw. <laughs> they yeah. would probably put it on. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's also because it's all, they they know it's all about who you're linked to in IMDb. Like I have been in meetings where we talked about the star meter number we needed of people where we were casting. And we we're like, okay, for this yeah. part, we need to be above 20,000. Like, let's look at, and like names would come up that we liked and we'd look them up and they'd be low. And I, at the time, I don't know what it is now, but I'd hosted a TV show and I'd been in a bunch of stuff with famous people. So like my star meter was like higher than anyone in the cast as the director. And it was like the weirdest thing. No, there were some people above me, but I was like in the high twenties and we were casting people in the high teens. And we had people in the movie that like were legitimately more famous than I am because I am not at all famous who had like 32,000 because it's like, it's the star meter is chaos, but actors know yes. that it is looked at in some casting sessions. So they, they just want yes. to get everything up on the meter so they can. All right. Well, bubbly bub, <laughs> let us know how it worked out. I'm really dying to know if you get other answers from other places and please let us know. So I'm just going to drop this on the algorithmic. If you are a fan of the show, Watch Salty Pirate wherever you can. Give it five stars. Watch everything I made. Uh, Angel's Perch, my feature, Salty Pirate, my show. Give them the five stars on the IMDb, on the Amazon. Yeah, bring it. Algorithmic, algorithmic it up. And I'm George Gentleman, editor-in-chief at No Film School. You can find everything we talked about here and more at nofilmschool.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Like, rate, and subscribe. Please algorithmic it up for No Film School and all of its platforms and channels. And you can go to my IMDb and see if you can find the weirdest thing on there and then email a question about it to editor@nofilmschool.com and I'll talk about it one day. If it's a good question and if it's a weird enough credit cuz there's some funny stuff on there. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.